Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Uh, today is Baptism Sunday, uh, which we're really excited. Represent our new baptism shirt, made new. And uh, we got several baptisms that are happening after second service. So if you have given your life to Jesus and have not been water baptized, it is not too late. Um, so you can go home, grab some clothes. We got some clothes for you. We got some towels for you. Uh, and the water is warm, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, but uh, we've been in a, in a series entitled The Problem of God. And we've been, you know, really attempting to answer some questions that I believe our communities are asking um, some tough and challenging questions, uh, but it's, it's been an incredible time thus far, and I'm excited for what God has in store for us this morning. And I want to speak to you from the subject of fake followers. Fake followers. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be fake. Look at your other neighbor and say, keep it real. If you don't have a, a neighbor, God understands. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you as we dive in today. Lord, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, I know I can't change anybody's heart, um, nor would I even want to or try to, but, but you can. And you know where each of us are at in the pain and the difficulty and the trial and the tension. And so, Lord, would you just move in such a powerful way? I pray this service would be so life-giving that everybody who leaves would feel like, oh, my goodness, that was a breath of fresh air. And that you would meet us in this place. Lord, we thank you for your word as we open it. May you bless it richly um, and let it just sink into the depths of our hearts, Lord. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Listen, if you're taking notes, we're going to jump right in today. I I want you to jot down this thought because this thought is really true, is that what's real always trumps what we feel. Let me explain. So... My father-in-law is a a whiz at construction. I mean, the guy is just brilliant in in every single area, right? In the the beginning of my relationship with Jackie, it was a little bit frustrating. It's like, this guy knows everything. I mean, you could point to a bug on the ground and he can tell you the species, how many of them exist. I mean, just a brilliant guy. So he came to our house one day and I had just hung up a little kid's swing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And uh, this little kid's swing, I had mounted it into the ceiling and and it, I thought I did a great job. And so he came over. He said, Matt, that, that's, that's not going to work. I said, I feel like I did a really good job. I feel like it's set just perfectly. And I feel that it's going to be okay. So I'm really not too concerned with what you're telling me right now. However, you know, being in the construction business and understanding how to, uh, to, to dabble um, with raw materials he understands that I don't have this thing screwed into a stud, and the sheetrock's probably not going to be weight-bearing enough to hold my kids. But I had a feeling. And I said, no, no, you're completely wrong. Like, I got this covered. Let me show you. And so I grabbed a hold of the two ropes, and I said, look. And I started to swing on it myself. Look, see, I told you. And then, bam, comes out of the ceiling. I fall down on my backside, knock over my daughter. She hits her head. My ego is totally bruised. I grab her like I'm taking care of her because she's crying, but I run upstairs to cry because I'm so desperately embarrassed. And how many of you guys at that, know at that point that what was real trumped what I felt? That what's real always trumps what we feel. And, and we experience this in relationships too. Like, gentlemen, you thought maybe she wasn't going to leave, that you could treat her however you want to treat her. Like, you felt like she would always be around and... All of a sudden, she's gone, and she's like, not today. And all of a sudden, the gravity of that reality 
starts to trump everything that you're feeling. And we just live in a, in a feely culture, don't we? Everything is, if I feel like doing it, I, I feel like it's accurate. I feel like it's not right or not true. I feel like going to school. I don't feel like going to school. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. But, uh, but what's real will always, always trump what we feel. And that's why in this series, we've been trying to really point out this reality is that our faith is not built on a cluster of feelings or, or whimsical hopes. Uh, but, but rather our, our faith is, is resting. Our faith is, is there, there's some evidence that we can drill down into, that we can get into the very studs um, and anchor ourselves to the reality of who Jesus is and the reality that he is very much alive and well. Now, now I, I don't know about you, but as, as we've been navigating this, it's been some, some tough topics to tackle. We've, we've tackled or we have te- attempted to tackle the existence of God. Um, we have uh, attempted to tackle the problem of the Bible. Like, is the Bible reliable? How do we know it's true? Uh, last week was a, a big, you know, lots of fun for me as we, tackled, uh, as we tackled evil and suffering, right? And again, we're just skimming the surface of all of these different topics. So I'm hoping that it sparks something on the inside of you that you would go and do your homework on your own. But today I want to talk about the problem of hypocrites. The problem of hypocrites. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not. But, but George Barna did a study in, in 2009 or 2007 on why people don't go to church. And what they discovered is it really wasn't evidential but moralistic, meaning that the top six reasons why people didn't come to church wasn't because they thought there was a lack of evidence for God, but rather it was because the way Christians behave or people who bear the name of Christ behave. Are you guys tracking with that? And, uh, and so in, in, the, in the top six, these were, these were up in the top four. Uh, let me show you these three things that people said. When they thought about the church, they thought that they were judgmental. They said that the church is mean-spirited. And this was a resounding one was the church was hypocritical. Like we just, I just can't really wrap my mind around um, this reality of people say one thing, but they're living something completely different. I, I love this, this quote by Mark Clark. Look what he says. He says, modern people uh, contend that the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. I even think Gandhi said it one time. He said something like, uh, there would be more Christians if it wasn't for Christians. Right? Because people kind of look at our life and, 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 and people's lives that bear the name of Christ. And they have some problems with what they're seeing. Are you tracking with that? And so I started to, to wonder, what do we do with this reality? If this is really how our community is feeling, this is really how our wor- world is feeling, and, and that number continues to increase, like how do we address this? And I think the first one, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I think the first thing we need to, need to do is to admit the church has some issues. Like church is full of people, and people are messy. I think we all get that, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. We're just messy sometimes, Right? But maybe you were invited by a friend today. Maybe you were invited by a family member. Maybe the very fact that you're in a church has been a huge risk. Because maybe you personally have been wounded by somebody that's bore the name of Christ. Maybe you personally have been wounded by the hypocrisy that you experienced in church leadership or, 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 or maybe even with a former pastor. 
And so I wanted to start our time today just by saying, listen, you picked a great house. You didn't pick a perfect house to come into today, but you picked a great house, a safe house, um, where, listen, we get it. And and I want to be the first, if that's you today, I want to be the first to repent and apologize to you on behalf of that leader, on behalf of that person, on behalf of that pastor bearing the name of Christ that that didn't do a, a very good job. And so, so please, please hear me today. I, I, I'm so sensitive to this because, man, some people have been deeply wounded by this reality. And so on behalf of those leaders and on behalf of the church and on behalf of those who have bore the name of Christ that have wounded you, man, I'm sorry. And, and I deeply, from the bottom of my heart, this isn't a gimmick, this isn't a show. From the bottom of my heart, man, I apologize um, because that's, that's never been Christ's heart for you. Now, now others of you, uh, you're probably saying, man, forget my personal life. What about all the atrocities that have been done in the name of Jesus throughout history. I mean, forget about, you know, my, my issues. What about, you know, the, the thousands of people that, that have died? You know, the Inquisitions, the, the, the Crusades, the, the witch trials. What about all of those? And, man, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, man, that's, that, was, that was some horrific stuff that has been done in the name of Christ. Matter of fact, let me show you how horrific it's, it is, actually is that Christian movements have killed approximately 200,000 people over 500 years. I mean, just, just think about that for a moment. I mean, that's just, that's horrible. And some of them are, are the obvious ones. Again, the Roman Empire, the Inquisitions, just the, 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 uh, the witch trials in, in uh, th- those medieval times. I mean, there were so many different movements, and 200,000 people have died. That, that's horrific. That should have never have happened. But I think as a church, we have to realize that, man, that did happen in the name of Christ. That's not something we can ignore. That's a reality. In fact, let me show you, it's led atheists to to pretty much say uh, that religion is horrible. And I totally get it. I totally get where they're coming from. You know, they're like, man, how in the world could this happen? And this is a common argument that I hear today um, over and over and over when it comes to, it, it's a huge roadblock when it comes to people's faith in God because they're, they, they see this hypocrisy, they see this contradiction. And, and, and you know, I, I think to, to play it fair and, and to, to be fair, um, pretty much atheists have said, let's get rid of religion. Let's just get rid of it. Well, let's just, just wipe it out. Society has been trying to, you know, get religious institutions kind of shut down, especially on Christianity. Um, There's been a huge attack on the Bible. There's been, I mean, just so many different things. But ladies and gentlemen, quite honestly, this isn't new. In the 18th century, there was a movement called the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment, they basically said that, hey, listen, we have become way more sophisticated of a society that we no longer need a God Matter of fact, we have become higher or a higher state or like God in it of ourselves, and we can function and have society work moralistically, holistically, perfectly fine without God. But, but if we're comparing apples to apples, there is a problem with that argument. And the problem is every time you begin to push God out, it does not get better, not just from my personal opinion, but also historically. Let me show you. Under atheist movements have killed approximately 100 million people in 100 years. You say, what? 100 million people in 100 years? And let me just name off some. Uh, Former Soviet Union, under Stalin, we have Adolf Hitler who really set himself up as his own deity. We, we have uh, Kumar Rouge. We have uh, the communist China under the regime of Mao. I mean, we have all of these different atheistic movements. 
that have slaughtered millions. And so it's almost like, hey, let's get rid of religion. Let's wipe it out. And then it gets worse. Let's get rid of God. We don't, we don't need any church stuff. We don't need God. We don't need. And what happens? More people get died. More people get slaughtered. Remember, it's survival of the fittest. Anything goes in that moment. Like rise to the top. Step on whoever you have to do to get there. All of a sudden, you remove God. The equation opens up to, to, to some horrific things. But, but now, now this is interesting because some of you are sitting here like, man, that's why I hate religion. That's why I hate institution. Forget all of it. Like we could take that approach today. Or we can just realize that, man, we live in the reality of this tension. All of us do. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's the reality of this tension between what we expect and what we experience. And, and I think we can all feel this, don't we? Like we have an expectation of how things are supposed to work in life and how things are supposed to go. But then our actual experience seems to contradict what we expect. It's like, it's like we, we have, you know, this bucket that we're, 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 we just feel like life is supposed to give us all this, this beauty and this blessing. It's supposed to be a certain way. And then we realize there's a lot of holes in our expectations or in our experience. Like we have all these expectations, but then we have these, these holes that are leaking everywhere. We have these gaps between what we expect and what we experience. And, and this happens on so many levels. I remember uh, I took Jackie to see Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas, and there was a hotel. I've told the story before, but I think it paints a great picture. There was a hotel that online, it looked amazing. I thought I was going to be the man. I surprised her with the trip. It's going to be so good. And we get to this hotel, and I'm double-checking. Is this the right spot? I'm looking on my phone. Is this the right spot? We're walking down the hallway, and it looks abandoned and scary. But, and I'm trying to church it up. Well, hey, babe, like we're on the strip at least. We're close to everything. Like, and she's looking like, uh-huh, yeah, that's great. Trying to keep a good attitude. We get to the room and there's a, a stains on the, on the sheets and there's a big water stain on the ceiling. And I just look like, I'm so sorry. This was not what I was expecting to experience. It looked totally di- Online, they even have like five-star ratings. Like somebody is lying online. Can't believe everything you read online. And so, so I did whatever I could to get us, I got us out of that room. Then they gave us this other room, and there was like a massive tub in there with a mirror on the ceiling. I was like, this is just not even godly. We just, we got to get out of here, right? It was just the worst experience ever. And it was not what I expected. And there was these holes, these leaks in between what I expected and what we actually uh, experienced. And I think all of us, we've, we've, we've had this when it comes to marriage, haven't we, those of you guys who are married? I, I mean, we go into marriage and we think like, oh, it's going to be like the notebook, right? You start, you start singing Celine Dion, near, far, right? And then next thing you know, it's like, give me the sheets. And what you expected, things don't always turn out the way we think. And so there seems to be a gap. There seems to be some holes between what we expect and what we experience. Now, this is the worst when it comes to food, especially for my wife. My wife is a foodie. She loves good food, right? And one of her favorite foods is lamb. And there's a, right, she got a great taste. And so it's biblical. Lamb is like so biblical too, by the way. And there's this great spot downtown Pleasanton that we go to, to get lamb. And we went up there on a date night not too long ago. And, and she orders it medium rare. And they brought it to her and it was like beef jerky. And she, she was so bummed because it was... 
they always like nail it. And what she was expecting was, oh, I'm going to just cut into this thing, and it's just going to be perfect. And, and it, was, it was extremely dry. And Jackie's, you know, she's very humble. She's like, I don't want to say anything. I'm like, no, we can say it. That's, that's okay. You asked for that, and it's all good. Let, let's ask him. So, uh, so he comes back, and he takes her food away. And then, then he brings back her lamb. And so we're like, okay, we're expecting it's going to be, it's going to be great. And then it's like still crying. Right? I mean, we're looking like, I don't even think you like, did you cook this thing? And then she, so she looked at me again like, should we send it back? I'm like, yeah, send it back. And, and that's how I'm enjoying my salmon. I'm like, I'm almost done. <laughs> salmon is great. And just so, he, so, so then we expect, well, they're going to take this off the bill for sure because, I mean, two times. I mean, come on. And then he brings us back like a little dessert, like a cheesecake or something. And we look at the bill and it's still on there. And so it's kind of like, hey, man, like we didn't want like a cheesecake. We hope you're going to take off some cheese of the bill. <laughs> but it's just the reality, man, of, of, of what we expect and what we experience. A lot of times there's holes, there's leaks, there's gaps. And this happens in the church. This happens in church world where you step into a church or you, in, in, uh, you encounter somebody who's bearing the name of Christ. And, and what happens? You know, you expect them to be loving and kind and caring, and then they're rude and judgmental and hypocritical. And you're like, man, what in the world? And then you keep trying different churches, but because, you know, uh, what we feel uh, or, or what, what's, what's real will always trump what we feel. You keep going to, to churches, and you find out, man, every church must be, like, real because every church has issues. And, and you're trying to figure out, man, I thought I was supposed to expect this, but... But what I'm experiencing is completely different. And so can I just say, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that, that, that you might have been let down or that, that you've been disappointed because of people's actions. And I, I mean, I so get it. And I promise if you go here long enough, we're going to let you down at some level. But we're going to be quick to repent, I promise. But, but here's the deal. Regardless of that, it's not just about admitting that there's issues in church. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is that we can't let fake people keep us from a faithful God. We just can't do that. You know, there's, there's a couple reason, reasons why that uh, people are hypocritical, why people are judgmental in the church. There's, there's a couple of different reasons that I, I want to hit on just for a moment. And the first reason is probably really obvious. And, and that's this. Are you ready for this? This is rocket science. This is, this is going to be way over your head. But just lean in. Is, is that there are a lot of people in church, ladies and gentlemen, that aren't following Jesus. There are a lot of people in church that aren't even Christians. You might say, well, okay, I, I get that, especially if you're reaching lost people. Just because they're here does not mean that, I mean, you, could, you might see somebody out there, they might, you know, um, there's a, a lot of legalization going on of a lot of different things these days. And you might see somebody, you know, on the street and, man, they may, you know, be smoking something or doing, and they might, yeah, found church, that's my home church. And you're like, oh, I knew something was wrong with that church. Either that or you're like, maybe that's why I like it so much, right? <laughs> One of the two. It's going to go either way. But, but, it, but there's a lot of people in church that, that aren't following Christ. And even though that's obvious to all of us, I think that armchair critic that holds the church responsible for every atrocity that's done by a person that's out of their mind with the Jesus bumper sticker needs to get that. Because everybody in church is not following Jesus. In fact, this is, this is not... New news, not even to, it wasn't like God missed this one, like, Holy Spirit, you see all these hypocrites, what's going on? No, Jesus addressed this. And look what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. 
Now, disguise is an interesting word. Jesus is speaking about the religious leaders of the day, which he referred to many times as hypocrites. Now, hypocrite is it's a Greek word. It comes from Greek theater, which simply means an actor. It's one who wears a mask or many masks and portrays something that really isn't there or disguises himself as sheep but are really vicious wolves. But he says you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. And so a lot of times people equate Christianity being true by the way people act. And that's not a fair assessment. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment. But Jesus is saying that a follower of Jesus, somebody who's following him, will produce fruit. Now, now fruit is, is kind of easy to test when you go to the market. I still don't have it down. I don't know why. Like, I pick out wrong fruit all the time. Jackie's looking like, is this an orange or a grapefruit? I don't know. I thought, I don't know. It was, wasn't too soft. It wasn't too hard. I'm, everything's like right in the middle on fruit for me. I just try to go for the middle, right? But, but you see like a watermelon or you can, you can knock on it. I mean, it's just a little bit easier. But sometimes people, it's a little bit more challenging to identify that fruit. And then the Bible uses terms like fruit. Well, what in the world, what, what in the world is fruit? And so Paul talks about this in Galatians. He says that fruit is um, the fruit of the spirit or somebody who's following Jesus. Should, they should exemplify love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like that should be a part of their rhythm. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, oh, I knew my family member wasn't saved. I knew they weren't a Christian, right? I don't see a whole lot of fruit. Now, let me just make something very clear. Uh, trees, I, I learned this this week because we're now, uh, we, we're now planting some fruit trees. We're growing our own stuff, blueberries and citrus and, and tangelos. Um, all of these things that I have no idea about except I know how much they cost and I know that it's a lot of money to produce fruit. Um, but, but we have these trees and, and I was talking to, with the gardener and he said, you know, you know me, like I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to glean wisdom from anywhere. He says, he says if you nurture this one. If you nurture any of these trees, if you nurture them, you, you take care of them, they're going to produce fruit. But, but, but it's going to be in different times. Like each tree has its own personality, its, its own little time frame. So just because you don't see fruit right away doesn't mean it's a bad tree. And so, so you may be judging your family member right now or somebody you know that's close to you that really doesn't act like a Christian but bears the name of Christ. That does not mean that they're not a Christian. But this is what you can look for. Um, you just don't want to look for perfection. You want to look for direction. Are they moving in that direction of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Are they quick to apologize when they're wrong? And if not, that's why we are here, the church, is to say for those inside calling themselves believers, hey, what are you doing? You're tripping. Why are you acting like that? What's going on? How can we walk with you? How can we work with you? So don't jump the gun there. Are, are, are you with me? Don't jump the gun there. But Jesus goes on to say, he says, people can be a little bit hard. It can be a little bit deceiving. There's some false leaders. But he also says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, it's not just about hypocritical leaders, but there's hypocritical followers. There's some fake followers that we find. He says, only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter into heaven. Continue. This is probably one of the scariest passages in the Bible. He says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast demons out in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, depart from me or I never knew you. What Jesus is saying is, hey, beware, there's going to be some fake followers that are bearing my name. Maybe they go to church and they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't go to parties, they don't watch R-rated movies. But Jesus said, they may do all of those things, but they don't know me, they don't love me, and they're not following me. And so to try to, to base your decision based on somebody's mor morality or performance 
to judge whether or not Christianity is true or real. Jesus said that's not, a, that's not a fair assessment. Jesus is saying if you really want to get a great picture, don't look at other people's morality. Look to Jesus. Look, look at what he taught. Look at his actions. Look at what he said and see if it lines up consistently with those who are bearing his name. Track with me on that? Because what ends up happening, if we're not careful, um, if we're not careful, we're, we're going to mistake some things. And let me, let me show you this quote. I, I love this. It's really important that we understand this because Christianity is not good advice to help good people lead moral lives. That's not what Christianity is. But rather it's good news about Jesus, about who he is, about who he was, and what he did. Are you tracking with me on that? And so if we miss this, then we're going to start to digress towards what I like to call, if you're taking notes, jot this down, trivial objections. Actually, I don't call that. It's what scholars call it, trivial objections. Now I'm going to get really wordy for a minute, and then I'm going to break it down. Trivial uh, uh, objections is where we take our critical thoughts with inconsequential data and we try to make something significant out of it. So we take inconsequential data that, that, that really doesn't have anything to do with the context and we try to, to build an argument based on that. So, for example, just like I said, we start to look at people's behavior and we try to, to determine whether or not Christianity is true. That Their behavior may be an indicator that they are not following Christ. But you can't throw away Christianity because some people bear his name and they're fake. Like, for example, if, if Einstein today, if, if, if we read in the New York Times that Einstein was a kleptomaniac. The brother just liked to steal everything. Like, is that going to impact the truth of his work? Like, we would never discredit his mathematics because he was a klepto. Huh? Got to throw all that out. Like, like, if Thomas Edison was a womanizer, we wouldn't say, hey, light bulbs probably really aren't that good. Got to get rid of them. No way. We, we would never do that in any other circumstance. So, so research has to be based on, on accurate data, on solid data. In order to, to make a solid decision, not based on whether or not somebody can, can live it out or not, whether somebody's success or fails at it. Are you tracking with me? And, and the last thing that, that I want to leave you with is this, is that when it comes to the church, we have to understand that it's for broken people, not perfect people. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like, I knew that's why it wasn't for me. I am perfect. See, you wouldn't say that. Because you feel the tension of the gaps within your own life. You see, the, the tension that we feel is not just a gap with the church or with hypocrites. We feel the gap in our hearts, don't we? And so the fact that you know that you're not perfect means there's probably some broken areas. So you fit in perfectly here. Perfectly. And the fact that, that you have some holes that you realize is not a bad thing. Like, like. Like, you know, you know that there's some holes in your life. Like, you just get it. Like, Monday morning, I'm going to work out. Tomorrow, you guys, you guys got it down. You got all the, the you, you subscribe to Beachbody.com. Like, you're ready. You're ready. You're ready to tackle. It's, 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 it's I don't know what you want to call it, but it's, it's Monday workout day, right? And you got your, your meal plan. You got all, everything. You're expecting a great workout at 5 a.m. before you get to work, and then what you're expecting and then what you experience at 4.45 is your back's a little sore. And you're tired. You don't feel 
like getting out of bed. You don't feel, and so all of a sudden you start to recognize some holes in it. Three o'clock comes and you feel so disappointed in yourself because you're like, I expected I was supposed to get up, but there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience. And we all know how that feels. Now, now maybe you're like the disciplined king or queen. This one's even better. Because you can't figure it out. Because you got everything dialed, yet there's still holes. And the only thing you can focus on is the holes. How come I can't figure this out? How come I can't? I'm disciplined in all these other areas. Everything is working. Why is this not working? Because there's a gap between what you expect and what you experience. There's holes. That's not a bad thing. It's actually, if you're in that place today and you feel the tension in the gap, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Why? Let me, let me uh, break it down to you this way. Let me show you on the screen. It's a great thing because the gospel is not about what we can do for God, good advice, but what God has done for us, good news. Meaning, meaning this is so cliche, but it's so true. And I think C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, listen, Christianity isn't about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. And so, and so you got, you got to understand this. This is such great news for you because you'll never be able to patch all those holes. You'll never be able to fulfill the, the gap between what you expect and what you experience. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2 is a lifeline for us as Paul says it like this. Paul says, listen, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus... You may know this passage, but you may need to get back to it. Like, who has bewitched you, Paul said? You who begun in the spirit are now trying to perfect in the flesh. Your holes will never be filled in the flesh. It's only by his grace. Are you tracking with that? He says this, he says, not as a result of your works or my works, so why? So that nobody can boast. That's why Jesus had to live a perfect life, because we couldn't. But here's the deal. John chapter 8, and I can have our worship team come up. John chapter 8, I think, paints a great picture. I'm not going to have it on the screen for you, but I, I want to paraphrase this story. John chapter 8, these religious leaders, they bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. Both guy and girl, right, it takes two for adultery, uh, were caught. But they only grabbed the woman. And they grabbed the woman, they, they brought her to Jesus, and they said, hey, Jesus, the law of Moses says we should stone this woman. What do you say? And the Bible clearly states that they were trying to trap him. They were trying to catch him in a trap. See, what was happening is, and this is what happens, these guys thought they were perfection. They thought they were above everybody else, but they were leaking just as bad. In all of their dazzling robes and all of their clothes, Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. There's tons of holes. You just don't even see them. And see, the problem is when we don't see our own holes or don't want to deal with our own holes, our first response is to point out the holes in somebody else. To say, hey, Jesus, look at her holes. Look at the gap. We should stone this woman. Jesus said, man, I'm so glad you came. So glad you brought her to me. Because what you expect is not going to be what you experience. And he said, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. 
<laughs> probably talks among themselves, man, he did it again, man. I don't know. Let's just, you want to you just tell your stuff? You want to throw that stone? No, I can't do that. And so one by one, starting with the oldest, they walked away throwing their stones down. This is, this is so powerful. And it says that Jesus is left in the middle with this woman. And I thought, what a great picture. You have two people's holes are revealed. One runs and one stays. And she's just standing in all of her shame before the rabbi, like the one, expecting to die. But this is so crazy. When it comes to people, what you expect, there will always be a gap between what you experience. Because we're flawed. But can I just tell you with God, what you expect, she expected death. She expected punishment. She expected to be written off. She expected to be humiliated. But with God, what you expect is, is never what you experience. That here she's expecting death and he says, oh girl, I'm going to give you way more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. You were expecting to die this day, but with me, the, it's a reversal of values. The world you're going to expect and be disappointed, but with me, you're going to expect and be liberated. And, and he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Meaning I've given you forgiveness. I've given you acceptance. Not try to earn your way up to me. It's my grace that's filling the gaps. It's my grace. And for her, it was like, oh, I yes. Can somebody kill the lights for me? I want you to get this picture. She's walking away from this moment. And now her holes are filled, but they're still holes. Let me say it this way. His grace has now filled her holes. So the, 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 the holes where she, she was leaking profusely everywhere, trying to find the right guy, trying to find this, had all these expectations, but there was always a gap between what she expected and what she experienced. And all of a sudden, she's now filled with the grace of God. She's experienced the grace to such an extent that his grace has filled her gaps in such a way that now her holes are filled with light. And she walks around and she says, man, I got some holes but they're filled. His grace is enough. He filled the gap. So my question to you today is this. Will you let God's grace fill your gaps? It's so easy to point out everybody else's gaps. We all got them. But you, ma'am, you, sir, would you let his grace fill yours today?